If you think you know Henry Cejudo, you think you know the Henry Cejudo story, you don't. You're going to learn some things and they're compelling and they're even moving. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Thursday, April 20th, which means we're four days away from the release of our next audio documentary, The Henry Cejudo Experiment. It's a six-part series on Henry's wrestling career. Cannot wait for you to hear it, folks. I truly believe this is the best thing we've ever produced. We've been working on this project since early, gosh, early August. The idea came to fruition uh, last June, and that's why Chael's on. Chael was instrumental in helping get this documentary off the ground. And in this podcast, folks, Chael comes on. We talk about the documentary we talk about the new rule proposals, which came out this week. Absolutely crazy. And we also talk about the return of Gable Stevenson. So can't wait for you to hear this episode. Enjoy it. And the next time we talk, folks, you'll be listening to the Henry Cejudo audio documentary, which is crazy to say. Fan of the week goes to The Fighter 22, who recently left an Apple podcast review, five-star review titled The Gold Standard for Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much, Fighter22, and thanks to everyone who's left an Apple Podcast review. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Chael Sonnen. Just a quick update from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the episode. This episode is brought to you by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club. They were with us last year, and they're back to promote their upcoming summer camps. If you're in the PA area, check out these camps. Amazing clinicians. The first camp is June 27th through the 29th at the Spooky Newt Complex in Lancaster, PA. Clinicians include Mike Evans, David McFadden, and Brian Pearsall, who's the head coach at, excuse me, the head associate coach at Penn and a former Penn State wrestler. The Frog Ninja Wrestling Club is also doing a second camp in Oxford, PA, July 11th through the 13th. One of my favorite clinicians for this camp is Morgan McIntosh, who's an Army Green Beret, three-time All-American, and NCAA finalist for Penn State. He was also a three-time California State champ. He's going to be at the second camp in Oxford, PA. So register now at frogninjawrestlingclub.com. 
Okay, so, so just so the audience knows, you you and I are here today to, to discuss the the, the upcoming uh, Henry Cejudo doc, but I haven't got to catch up with you in a minute. Roy Letters. Now, you, you had him on three weeks ago. Do you know who that man is? Are you familiar with Troy Letters? Not. I know him just through the research, but since then, Lehigh people have reached out, and I didn't realize how big he was in that community. Troy Letters is as tough of a son of a bitch as you're ever going to come across. He he would fight Johnny Hendricks to the bitter death and beat him. He beat Johnny Hendricks, and even when he did it, it was some of the – I don't. I want to use the word dirty because I don't know another word. But sometimes I, I don't mean illegal dirty. I just mean these guys. This was a fight. This was an absolute fight, and uh, and neither guy would back down. If there was a seven minute wrestling match, it wasn't six minutes and twenty seconds like most matches. And then you find a way to hang in there. These guys fought bell to bell. I mean, some of the most classic matches ever. Letters won the. He won the NCAA. He expected to win it four times. He was yeah. pissed that he didn't win it four times. I mean, you know, guys like that, you know, guys like that that expect to win. It's like, dude, you shouldn't expect to win. You're 19 years old. Like, knock it off. But they do it. He's one of those guys. He's one of them, no doubt. He's a, yeah, he, uh, th- when he talked about that match with Hendricks, where he'd beaten him for the second time at Lehigh, and Hendricks had the confidence to say, I'll see you at Nationals. It's like, pff, that's a different cat, man. These guys are just going oh, yeah. at it. Oh, both those guys. The killer named Josh Koscheck, but I don't, I don't know that every, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to know where Koscheck fits into that mix. I think they missed each other, but Letters was one of those guys where USA Wrestling would have put him on on the board and thought, okay, he, you know, he, he's going to go contend seventy four kilograms, and he just didn't do it. Like in freestyle, he just didn't have an interest. He, he went into coaching, and I, I've always wondered, did he have an injury? You know, he didn't go MMA. There would have been that opportunity. He didn't go international maybe he just had enough maybe he just had enough like tannenbaum by example i don't know but it was very nice to see him pop up on on your podcast and when you were talking to him i kind of thought i was like you know i don't know if ryan knows what a badass he's got on the line here no Uh, you know he was interesting i had a real thrill listening to letters i appreciate that he's great and since then we've been talking and he's gonna be i think uh someone who comes back on a bunch because you know, his situation where he was at Penn State, to your point, goes into coaching right away. He's at Penn State with Mark Perry. And I can't remember the other coach who was there with him. And, you know, P- Kale comes in and he and Kale kept him. So that speaks to what he thought of Troy. And, you know, he left to be the head coach at Clarion after two years at Penn State, which is crazy. And, uh, yeah, but sure. it, was, it was awesome to have him on. What do you think of these rule changes? Have you heard about well, this at you all? you know what? Oh yeah, I'm up to speed. I must disclose, like these might be awesome. I am always late to the party on this. I, I, I'm a traditionalist, and I, I just I'm just getting the way my mind works, and I, I'm not totally up for change. I don't, I don't know that I disagree with the concept. Like, let's take the takedown rule. Uh, one of the arguments was, look, if you get two takedowns and the other guy has none, it can still be four to two. That's too close. That's too close for a dominant two takedowns to zero. On one hand, I understand that. On the other hand, and this is this is my MMA more than uh, a wrestling background speaking. The thing that separates the, the American wrestlers, like you always see how well wrestling does, right, right. But that, that isn't true. The, the Russians win all the gold medal. We, they don't do well. The Cubans win a bunch of gold medals. They don't do well. The Germans do just fine. They don't. Win. The American, it's American wrestling that works in MMA. And the difference is being able to keep somebody down against his will and being able to get away 
from the bottom when the other guy uh, doesn't want you to. That is what makes us so effective at MMA. So when they started messing with that, I didn't personally love it. I, I There was an argument that the fans, when they're watching writing, don't understand what's happening and find it dull. That might be true. The other side of it is I would rather educate the fans and let them know how gall darn hard it is to keep a man down. You can't lock your hands. It's a hard, incredible skill, particularly when your hips can't be over the top. I don't know, man. I, they're probably really good rules. I don't like change. That's just you, the truth. Do you agree with the assumption that a three-point takedown will encourage more offensive wrestling from the feet? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Uh, I don't. I, I can't totally dispute it. A push-out rule I was hoping for. Yes. Um, the, the way that they invoke conditioning in collegiate, um, I respect it, but I, I do wish that it was a little bit different. I, I know Iowa used to be the only the only club that could, the only team in America that could sell out a dual meet was Iowa. And they argued that it's because they get a stalling call and they get the other guys tired. And they were wrong. Iowa was wrong. They, they, mm -hmm. they just had a hard blood. They had some success. They had the right marketing. They were able to fill up arenas. It had nothing to do with them pushing and making another guy tired. I mean, I only offer you that because that's not great. It's not a bit. That's not an athletic skill, in my opinion. It's a good strategy. Great way to win a wrestling match. Historically, we've proven that true. But I think that Iowa misidentified what people liked about watching them. And I think that it's overplayed in collegiate wrestling. I, I get conditioning like within any sport, but I, I prefer the athleticism. It's what I like about freestyle. I mean, I, I really do. I love to watch collegiate. It's just, it's not always about athleticism. You know, a guy gets tired. The human body is not made to go seven minutes at a full sprint. That's no. just the truth. There's nothing better than watching a world championship match where it's like a quarterfinal or a semi. And it doesn't even have to be Americans, but just watching the athleticism in the last 30 second sprint is one of the craziest things you ever see. And you don't see that in folk style as much. Um, so yeah, I, the, the three point takedown to me is kind of out of nowhere. I didn't think that was even a reality. The push out, if you're going to do a three point takedown, I would think you'd add the push out as well, because otherwise it's just increasing the value of the takedown. Yeah. You know, Cause I made the stupid argument on Twitter that it's like similar to when we introduced the three point shot, but then I'm like, well, it would be if we did also offer to push out. But um, the one thing that I'm really happy about though, Chael is they changed the definition of writing from keeping someone down to working for a pin. To me, this should have been in the whole time. And I think it'll eliminate, it'll, it'll get refs to call stalling on top more. I, I didn't actually uh, not know that distinction. I, I read all the rules. I, I, I Some here must have gone fast. I read, you know, two swipes, get you two points and three and four. I thought I read them all. I like what you just said. I like that. Uh, I like that clarification a lot. So so that is some good news. And I didn't mean to uh, complain about collegiate being, you know, I, I like that it's a tough guy business. I, I really do. But I, I just think there's a point. And I think, you know, it, it's so... Uh, so heavily loaded to conditioning. It's it's almost like, hey, before we recruit a kid, I don't need to know if he placed in Fargo. I need to get a, a VO2 max on him. That's <laughs> what I need to do. And if, if he's got a good number, I got a big scholarship for him. So, and by the way, by the way, when are we going to get into what's going on with this, this NIL deal? I mean, we're just buying kids away. You can buy a team now. So this I want to know. Stuff, but we're seeing in wrestling. It's crazy. I want to know how much of it's actually happening. Like, is it really happening? Like, how much well, did, did Bernie get to go to Penn State? Uh, uh, Bernie, Bernie's number was seventy thousand to get a visit. If it, just to get a visit, he, he could visit five schools. His, he told everybody seventy grand for me to come. In. If you don't have the seventy grand, I'm not coming to look at you. 
Penn State locked him up before he took those visits, so I, wow. I could only begin to guess. But I'm just sharing with you. I mean, you know, there's something very cool about that within wrestling. There's another side to it, too. But just think about wrestling. We know that this is a poor man's business. So then think about Phil Knight. I'm out here in Oregon. Phil Knight, the owner of Nike. Think about T-Boone's Pickens at Oklahoma State. Think about these guys that care about football. If you're willing to give a quarter million dollars to a kid for one season of wrestling, what are they giving a guy to come play football, a sport that they really – are passionate about it. You know, I think there's a real relevance. I got the best uh, basketball player in the uh, nation ranking wise is LeBron James's son right now. But the number two ranked kid is my neighbor straight out this window. Uh, no shit. He's ranked number two. And, you know, the money that they're throwing at him, the money that they're offering to dangle him, um, you know, to get him to come out, it's, it, it's really quite remarkable. So it's overwhelming. 17 year old kid. You know, he's got a sister and a mom and dad, and he, he works really hard, and he just wants to go uh, play a game and try to have more points than the other guy when time runs out. And it's, you know, it's it's turned into a business, which, uh, I, I mean, it, it's shocking. The, the numbers that they're offering the 17-year-old kid, and, it, you know, he commits to the University of Oregon. Duke knows he committed, but committing doesn't mean what it used to mean when, when I was coming through. Now it has to be a letter of intent. So Duke says, hey, to hell with that press release. Come on out here. We got more for you. Then Kentucky finds that, and they bring – I mean, I'm telling you, it's uh, – a. It's a different world. It's hundreds different of thousands? World. Hundreds of thousands? Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. And it's guaranteed. All five, you want to come red shirt? Go ahead. You don't want a red shirt? No, no problem. Wow. Guaranteed. And, I mean, it's it's really an impressive numbers. Um, you know, and then you got the tricks in there, too. I mean, we, we can get to the dirty stuff. Uh, there's a school that, that, that bought a kid that was an NCAA finalist this year. I'll, I'll leave it at that. They gave him $100,000. But – they gave him no scholarship. They said our 9.9 are busy. We can give you hundred grand to come here. They didn't cover the scholarship. Well, he's an out-of-state kid. That's going to run him about $80,000, and he doesn't understand, it was, would be my guess, that he's got to pay taxes on that original hundred grand. So now all of a sudden you're upside down about $25,000. I mean, this becomes a real problem when you're dealing with these kids. And, you know, yeah, there, there a way needs to, police to be it? something done, right? How do you police yeah, it? I'm not, I'm not sharing – I'm not sharing that you, you do away with it. I, 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 there's something right here. There is something wrong about not giving your your, your principles uh, any cut, but I don't know. I mean, is the answer an escrow account? Is the answer, you know, that's what they did with Kyle Snyder. Kyle Snyder was a millionaire wrestler before the NIL deal. They didn't know if he could have the money. They didn't know if the NCAA would allow Kyle Schneider to have all of that money. So what they did is they just stuck it in an escrow account, didn't give it to him. The mm -hmm. second he walked off the mat after beating Gwizdowski and was graduated, he was a millionaire. And that might have been the right way to do it. I think they probably would have let him have it, but I'm, I'm just sharing for you. Yeah. It also had a couple of built-in mechanisms, which is now he's 23 years old. Now he's got a degree. Now he's a little bit more prepared. And um, there's an argument. There, there's an argument to be to be said for that, man. These 17 and 18-year-old kids, they just simply don't know about taxes. They just don't know what that means, and they could find themselves in, in a real jam. And the whole world of wrestling is propped up by less than 20 super rich cats who are giving money to a, a number of things, beat the streets, RTCs, wrestling programs. So to me, there's only so much money to go around. And, you know, you asked me what, what, what Bernie got. His number was 70 to take a visit. Shane Griffith's number is 200. And, you know, <laughs> I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, okay, but there's only five coaches in the entire NCAA Head coaches that make that or more. There's only five of them. That's a big ticket. And I'm For okay with year. him going and trying to get it. 
Yeah, for one year. But what I'm sharing with you is when they were going to drop Stanford wrestling, Stanford went out and raised, it was like $12 million. It was a very impressive number. It might've been 14 million. They, they raised a lot of money from their alumni. And the reason I say that is the school didn't take them up on it, right? We tried to buy wrestling back. The school did not take them up. They just brought wrestling back. When they got caught, what they were doing with the mission scandals, they, they just tried to unwind the tape. So where's that $12 million? Because Stanford could really use it. You're telling me a school as, as rich as Stanford can't afford to keep the one and only champion that they've ever had? I find that to be a surprise. And meanwhile, you're telling me that Penn State is raising all the money? What about Cornell? What about Princeton? Where you, you know, you get these businessmen and you got these senators and I mean, I'm just sharing for you that it is a little bit of a surprise that Stanford, that's got 14 million somewhere, couldn't keep their only champion in history. And then there's there's a rumor that he doesn't get along great with Rob Cole. You want to know what I think? I think Rob Cole is going to be on the first thing smoking to Oklahoma if he gets the offer. That's another thing, Oklahoma right now. A lot of lot of open uh open sure. things in wrestling right now. It's exciting. The one thing I really can't wait, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a few years, but. When the time comes where Carter Sirachi and Kyle Dake are, and Nolf, I guess, is going to be in there as well, that room at Penn State is going to be freaking crazy. And Carter, I know you there, love him. Uh, I love your videos on him. He's a he's a heel, man. There, Jordan Burroughs will not leave this sport until that match happens. And I don't know that he can. I mean, Jordan Burroughs has never been called. A, Kyle Dake didn't call him out. I mean, he chased him down. They the same age and same weight class. This is completely different. And, uh, you know, so many people thought, okay, well, after this Olympics, Burroughs will be done, or after this accomplishment, or after another world championship. And I'm telling you, it, it, set those things aside. He will not leave until that match happens. And I don't know that he can. I don't, he's, I think he's got to. I think he's got to wrestle Sirachi. It's going to be awesome. I hope it happens. And yeah. A lot of big names going on right now, and U.S. Open's coming up. Let's get to this story, man. This all started last June. You and I were talking, and uh, we had we had discussed different people who to do this documentary on, and you're like, I think Henry could be a name. You know, get get that MMA crossover, and you know, one thing led to another, and kind of picked up steam in July, August, and then September we were rolling, and here we are. All six episodes go live on Monday, man. I just want to say thank you for getting this seed planted. You know, you're very welcome, and I appreciate that you included me. Uh, I, I got to hear some screeners. Um, you know, I heard you thank me and give me credit for that. That meant a lot. I got to tell you, my friendship with Henry, I, I value and appreciate, and we get along uh, very well. My respect for Henry is very different now. I did not understand what he had to go through as a young man. I did not understand that he was uh, the best wrestler in America and did not know if he was going to have dinner that night, it, it was a very big deal. Um, and, and, you know, your pieces always do this. The, the first docuseries I ever heard was with the Smiths. But before you know it, John starts talking about uh, Leroy and uh, Gable's influence within the arbitration. I mean, you st we start getting stuff going, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that's never come up. And you start learning um, these things. Uh, the young man, from uh, Northern Iowa. I think he's your uh, favorite Davis. wrestler ever, Tony. Yeah. But I didn't know that he was uh, getting recruited by the streets. And I didn't know that at one point in his life, they won, that they got him. And, you know, it was a really big deal. And then to hear that he straightened his life out. Now he's a teacher, which means he's he's teaching some of the lessons 
that he wished he hadn't have done. The most effective teachers were the ones that, that something like that happened to. It was just an amazing story. But the same is true here with Henry. If you think you know Henry Cejudo, you think you know the Henry Cejudo story, you don't. You're going to learn some things, and they're compelling, and they're even moving. Appreciate that, man. And it's I can't wait to get it out there. For folks who only know Henry from the wrestling world, your world is MMA, and what he's done there might be even more impressive. Why is his story so important for the MMA world? Well, and he's not done. He's not done, right? I mean, he's one of these guys that's supposed to be a wrestler. And the NCAA has a number of rules, but if you pay attention to him, one of them, by example, is you have five years to complete four. You can get a break for church mission or military service. However, all your years must be completed by the time you're 26. And yes, if I lost you there, just accept it. But Henry Cejudo was the Olympic champion, still would have had four years. He could have gone to any uh, university in the country. His grades weren't wonderful. They would have worked it out. Princeton would have found a way to get him in because of the Olympic championship, and he was just wasn't what he wanted to do. And I didn't know that he wanted to do MMA. He had a good eye on wrestling. He even attempted... Uh, to make a comeback. Nick Simmons bought a uh, a halt to that in 2012. And then Henry said, you know what? Maybe I will go give this a try. He boxed a little bit in his youth. Uh, a, a typical Mexican upbringing. There was always a boxing gym in town. This I'm repeating Henry here. And he just had these skills, you know, very similar to like what we heard with Aaron Pico, but Henry came along first. And it was just, it was really interesting. And, and so he he didn't start out as a natural. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, he, he lost a couple of fights, but one of them was a stoppage to the guy who he went on to defeat for his first world championship and Demetrius Johnson, right? Like there was some adversity and there, and there was a learning curve for Henry, but it, it was the typical Henry Cejudo where he, he was not going to accept defeat. He, he was not going to accept second best. He was just a winner. And he just kept striving. Then you have him after he sets all the records, you know, champ, champ status, which technically makes, technically makes him champ, champ, champ because of the freestyle medal was at a different weight class, 121, 125, 135. The champ, champ is a coin, uh, a phrase coin for different weight classes. So he's technically got three, but now he wants four. He wants to go after Volkanovsky. And it's just, it's just a really incredible story. You know, what drives this guy? What makes him hungry? I've never had this level of success, but I would imagine – if I climbed a mountain and then I climbed it again and I climbed it again, I'm probably done climbing. I probably don't have that motivation, but he's different, right? He's different. Here's something that makes him special. And this docu-series will help to unveil what that is. Yeah. And if you think about what Henry has, a lot of that's Terry Brands. We're talking about one of the craziest, most intense people there is. And he basically raised Henry. It's like it, it makes a lot of sense when you start to understand who the influences were. I loved that. And I wish that Terry was still involved. And I know that Henry does too. I, I know Henry early in his career wanted Terry there. He wanted Terry in his corner. And Terry just said, hey, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't do this. not what I do. And Henry said, I don't need you to do it. You don't ever have to be in the room with me ever. When it's time to walk out, I want you there with me. And I don't think that Terry quite understood, uh, you know, as, as successful as Terry and Tom are, that, they are humble. They, they really don't understand what their presence alone means and what their influence means. So, I mean, Henry really did want Terry there. And uh, I don't think that Terry quite knows how involved he is with Henry's success. I think when Henry tells him, you have a piece of this gold medal, I think Terry thinks that's just something polite that a guy is saying, but it's not. It's different. And if you ever talk with Henry privately, as you did, it's very sincere. Henry Cejudo does not exist. Not the champion, not without Terry. 
And I think even guys like DC, who to me are, are mega, even he gets excited when Terry texts him. I was with him at his office and he's like, Terry texted me after one of my fights and I couldn't believe it. I was like starstruck. It's like, that's what, I, to your point exactly, I don't think they realize the impact they have because they're so in their own bubble. I, If I may insert myself, but I got an email from him one time just wishing me luck. And I even wrote the person back. And I said, hey, thanks a lot if this is really you. And I never heard from him again. Well, then I found out Frank Papalizio had him do it. Frank, it, it was wow. Terry. But it is a cool thing. Like, there are some guys that there is just a power with their presence. I mean, I, I could only imagine. You're right. If, 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 if out of nowhere, John Smith's in my corner and telling, I mean, it's <laughs> things are right. going to be different. Believe they just are. And there's not a lot of human beings like that, but they do exist. And Terry's one of them. And the, one of the things I was really excited about this documentary is when an MMA fan listens who doesn't know about wrestling, one of the misconceptions is in the jiu-jitsu world, for example, there's like 30 world champs, right? I'm exaggerating, but there's there's tons of different world champs. And wrestling, yep. there's one yep. world champ. There's one Olympic champ. Break that down for people who don't really maybe understand that in the MMA circles. Or I guess well, jiu-jitsu. In most forms of combat. Well, and I'll tell you this. In most forms of combat, even I'm not jiu-jitsu specifically, but combat. I mean, think of boxing that you see on television. Think of MMA that you see on television. If you are a champion, whatever your, your award is, but if you are a champion, every time you compete, that's on the line, right? It doesn't work that way in wrestling. You can beat a world champion. You don't get to become one. You can beat seven world champions. You don't get to become one. You, you look at what Kyle Dake did, who was clearly the best wrestler on earth, but he had some kind of an ailment. Uh, you know, at the Olympic Games, rumors that his ribs, it was very obviously there was something he's never told us because he's too much of a man. But the point is, he doesn't get to be Olympic champion, but he's beaten a lot of them. You know, you have to do it on this specific day at this specific time. And it, it really is different to, to have one in our community. We, we've got one and there's been people that have tried to come along, and put some initials and call it a world championship. And we even had some good wrestlers go out there and contend. But they did not look at themselves as world champions. They knew. We, we knew, and whether it was those crooks at Fila or now we got the good guys of UWW back in the day, it was, you know, AAU. But we know what our championship is. We as a community select one day, one event every year, and we contest it. And uh, it's quite possibly the coolest thing about our community. We've had people come in with money and try to buy it away and buy world championships, but just not the way it works. It's not the way it works. The process is long and it's grueling. And to your point, there is only one. And when you think about the Olympics, it gets even smaller. It's only in 2008, we only had six Olympians. Think about out of all yep. the folk style, all the freestyle wrestlers, just amazing to get down to six. Yeah. Oh, well, it's really tough. You know, when I, when I was born, it was 12. It became 10 over my lifetime. It became eight. Now it became uh, six to put that in perspective when they dropped it to six dan gable the leading voice in our sport came out and told the world if you're going to drop it again just cut the sport completely i don't want to be involved in something that has no opportunity i can't tell kids to go through this struggle and go through this sacrifice if there's no opportunity and you know we stopped at six and i really think that that needs to be on our agenda with our wrestling leaders to start fighting to get it back they made a threat that they were going to get rid of uh, wrestling completely and when they made that and they didn't follow through on it, it was a real natural element for all of our wrestlers, including our leadership, to say, okay, great. We're going to keep our mouths shut. We're going to keep everybody happy. We're not going to do any complaining. And I think it was a mistake. I really think that, uh, you know, we yeah. should be fighting to get those eight back, those 10 back, those 12 back that I talk about. They, they 
done for world year. It, it can most definitely be done. Generally, when you're trying to add something to an Olympic sport, you have to come down to how can we organize it? Who can facilitate it? Do you literally have the facility to house and do this? And the world championships proves to the IOC, yes, we have the ability to organize this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when you look at the kind of the whole story and the whole picture, one of the coolest things to me is that Henry's comeback fight is against a wrestler himself, Aljermaine Sterling, who I like a lot. I do like Aljo. And leading up to this, you know, being so invested in Henry's life, I found myself taking the other side and obviously seeing Aljo as the enemy is a little bit, which is obviously for sport. But get it, this fight getting booked took, for, <laughs> took forever. I could not believe this fight got pushed to as far as it did. Thank God it did, because I never would have been ready in time. But this thing's happening, and uh, let's just sign off with this. What are your thoughts on this matchup as uh, as two former wrestlers here? And what an interesting point, right? Like, we'll probably never get the real truth from Aljo. He's got to get himself in a mindset. He's got to convince himself, hey, this isn't wrestling. This is fighting. This is something different. He's the best in the world. But if I was to put myself in his spot, I'm a wrestler. I love wrestling. That's what I look up to. I know how, how grueling it is. I made it to a certain level. If I've got to take on the Olympic champion, I'm going to admire him. Uh, I probably watched him. I might have owned his shoes and or a, a T-shirt. And I think that Aljo does have to uh, overcome that. Now, Aljo's a competitor. He's a dog. He's a world champion. He can do it. Al Don't forget, Aljo's the guy that walked out and took on RBY a year ago just because. Somebody <laughs> put on an event and Aljo showed up and took the beating, but he showed up and took on RBY. So, so I true. mean, Aljo deserves his, yeah, he deserves his credit. I'll just share for you that I, I think that there's a piece of him that, that likely would rather cheer for Henry than have to go punch him in the face. Absolutely. Yeah. And then hopefully, you know, Henry gets this one and then maybe Volkanovski. We'll see. Hopefully there's many more to come, man. It's, it's been awesome to, to hey, see by, it. By the way, by the way, can I throw something in? Yeah. I feel like you're wrapping me up, but can I just no, ask but, a question? Uh, Chris Campbell, did you enjoy that conversation? I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. He was such a legend. It was such an interesting story. He was the world champion and then, you know, he comes back and makes the team in, in 92, which was Barcelona. They called him grandpa. All, all the athletes, not just the wrestlers, because he was so old. He ends up getting the bronze medal there. It's a weight class called 198 pounds, which we, we currently don't have anymore. But, you know, he was just such a, an impressive force. But it was such a unique story of a guy that was here and left and came back. And you can talk about comeback stories, but you, you on one hand, you, 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 you wouldn't fill it up to talk about the wrestling ones. It's one of those sports, man. If, if you leave for a week, things are different. If you leave for a month, you might never get your spot back. This guy left for almost a decade, came back, made the team, got a medal. I, I mean, he is one of the, the, the unsung heroes, in my opinion. And I appreciate that you had him on. He wanted to become a lawyer. He was the head of USA Boxing. I don't know if he got into that with you. Like uh, what Rich Bender is for wrestling, he was for boxing because they respected him as an athlete. They respected him as an organizer and a leader. Uh, the, the degree in Judas Prudence, of course, helped the resume. But Chris Campbell's a, really is quite a special guy. Yeah, and there's a Sports Illustrated article from the 70s that's like this perfect time capsule about Chris Campbell. And if we only talked about that, it would have been fascinating. But in the 70s, he didn't own a chair. He had like mattresses on the floor. Like he, he was a really kind of like different thinking guy. And um, a lot of those guys who wrestled in that 1980s era with that 80s uh, boycott, 
there's a lot of dark, dark stories that go on there. People yeah. who never got their shot in. Yeah. Chris Campbell almost became one of those because by 84, you have Mark Schultz. You have all these, you know, like you said, this new crop coming in. And then he comes back after Mark Schultz retires, wins a world title. It's like, man, like there's so many guys from that 78, 79, 80 who you'd never hear about again, but he came back. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and that's a match I believe that never happened. They were in the same bracket together. I know I know they were in the same bracket in 1980 Olympic trials, but Mark been a young guy, maybe a, a redshirt freshman. That match never actually happened, but uh, boy, if it did. Wow. I mean, that would be one for the ages. You, you take a 1983, 1986 Chris Campbell, you put him opposite Mark the Monster Schultz. That's, that's just one that got away, man. It's just one that got away. What are you hearing on Gable? Is he done with WWF or is he still doing that? Like, what, what do you make of this whole comeback? Well, okay. Th this is a tough one. Um, I predicted this or I've, I've told people what my inside scoop, however you want to say it. But I've, I've, I've been very bullish that Gable is going to wrestle. Gable was in the room. Gable was a, a, a tremendous leader out there in Minnesota this year. And th there was rumors that he was going to come back for the NCAA. My prediction was if he comes back for the NCAA, right, and that would be Vince's call. If Vince decides this publicity and this exposure through the Big Ten Network flow, people like yourself, if, if, if this is more bang for the buck than we can get him, Vince is going to keep him around for Paris. You know, I'd have to tell people that, hey, don't forget, the Olympics weren't in 20. They were in 2021. We're almost back to the Olympics. And if they bring him out now, they're going to keep him around uh, for the games. When he didn't come out, when he didn't enter the Big Ten, it burst my bubble. I thought, well, that you know, that's just not going to happen. You have tremendous exposure for the NCAA. By example, it's on ESPN. Mm -hmm. The World Championships will be on a .dot com. Uh, you know, it's done. It's it's not going to happen. And um, you know, so, so to see him come out, and I was hearing from Minnesota. I, I got a call two weeks ago. Gable has not missed a practice in six weeks. Now, all season long, he was in there a couple days a week, but. Then I hear, no, he hasn't missed a practice, and that includes morning practice. He's done daily wow. doubles every day for six weeks. That's now been eight weeks, and, uh, you know, the, the Open is is next week. So when he came out and he, he, he reported that, yeah, I was pretty pumped up about it. He's, of course, taken it one step at a time, which is, you know, this season of the World Championships. But I feel very comfortable in telling you he's going to go through the Olympics. I mean, if he wins the World's, you think that would catapult him, but you want to know what catapult him if he doesn't win the world. If he doesn't make the team or he doesn't win, you better believe he's coming back. Yeah. I mean, you think about it's interesting that he wouldn't wrestle with NCAAs considering how close it is because the U.S. Open is probably one right. of the least watched events, you know, com comparatively. So, like, would you have expected him to be like doing WWF Monday Night Raw at this point, or is he not on that track anymore? Well, no, he is. He is. He to is. Be okay. and, I, and I looked in there. Yeah, because I heard that he was in the room. Don't forget that the, the WWE's training center is in Florida. Uh, just use Tracy Hancock, by example. But that's where he went out to. So um, I, I share with you when I heard that Gable's in the room a couple of times a week. First off, I loved it because I did have a concern that he wasn't going to get his degree. And I know that to his father, that degree was important. So what I was told, and I believe this to be accurate, is that WWE actually sent people to him. They got him in wrestling school in 
Minnesota. So mm. the couple of days a week that he was in the gopher room, well, the other days he was working. It was just a different kind of work. He was running the ropes, but plenty of power lifting. You can see that by looking at him, how fit he is. You can see how damn strong he is. His neck's gotten even bigger as he's doing that interview. I mean, it, it really is an intimidating thing. Um, and But I love what you said about the NCAA because I, I see it the same way. If, it, if it's an exposure grab, that was your move. And in all fairness, the NCAA is harder than even the Olympics. And people think that Gable had such a hard time in the Olympics because he wins that by two tenths of a second. You go back and watch that match. He, he gave up four points in a gut wrench and about, uh, you know, in a one, one exchange. You take those two gut wrenches away. He kicked that guy's ass. Oh, and by the way, in the semifinals, he had the defending Olympic champion and he teched him. And nobody talks <laughs> about that. NBC didn't cover it because it was the semifinals. Gable Stevenson, technical fault. At 20 years old, he technical fault the reigning defending Olympic champion. The Worlds and the Olympics were not close for Gable. They were not close at all. He ran through that, regardless of, of the way you remember it, because of that two seconds, two tenths of a second takedown. He kicked everybody's ass. And let's not forget the ultimate poll of all time is coming up in 2028 when the Olympics are in LA. So anyone who wins in 24, all of those guys, I don't care who it is, how old they are, they're all thinking maybe a comeback in 28 in L.A., just like 96 in Atlanta was such a legendary one. So that's coming up as well. Absolutely. And by the, and by the way, as you're running through, you know, stars that are coming back, look, if we can get Spencer Lee in this tournament, and I think that we're going to, we are going to get Gable in this tournament, we have something real special to look forward to. But the way that wrestling is structured to take all of our medalists out of the U.S. Open, it's disappointing, it, right? It's not what the Open used to be. I'll tell you a great story. Uh... Okay, so take the U.S. Open of the way that this Burbage is done. The winner of the U.S. Open will draw into, and then, you know, fill in the blank if you're a, a returning world medalist. The year was 1996. The Olympics were going to be in Atlanta. There was a young man named Zeke Jones, and Zeke Jones got to sit until the finals. He won the U.S. Open. He got to sit. Rules were a little different back then. He gets to sit until the final wrestle-up. They have a last chance qualifier. Now, everybody in wrestling knows who's going to enter at what qualifier. They kind of get their ducks in a row. If you're a top guy, you go here and I'll enter over here. And they, they all move on. So they get to the last chance qualifier. And there's a young man with a couple time uh, champion out of Clemson named Sam Henson. And everybody knew at 114 and a pounds, Sam Henson, who missed the open, is going to go and qualify for the trials at this event. Zeke Jones shows up, thro throws down a, a registration fee on the scale. So USA Wrestling even grabs him right there at the scale. They grab him and go, Zeke, you must understand the rules. You don't have to be here. You're already in the finals. And Zeke's mind, the hardest guy was going to be Sam. And if he comes out and he takes Sammy out at this tournament, it's one match. If he waits till the trials, he's got to beat him twice in one day. So Zeke went in. He did beat Sam Henson. He kept Sam Henson out of the trials. And the reason I bring that to you is I'd be very curious what this verbiage is, because if the verbiage is the same that it was in 96, regardless of the intent, in theory, a Burroughs or a date could come and enter this and he would be done. He would draw into himself. Now, I'm sure they fixed the verbiage, but I'm not positive. I know they have intents all the time at USAW, and it, but it doesn't work out. And I, I only bring that to you for fun. I'm That's just telling awesome. you that Zeke did it at 96. And I'm highly curious if you could come in and qualify to take on yourself 
uh, at Final X. Just bringing that to your attention. I love it. It's so counter to how everyone's thinking now. Like no one is thinking about entering more tournaments, but that is a, that would be, I didn't know that story for one. And it's gotten a lot better this yep. year. The U S open, they used to have the world team trials. We took that out. Final X used to be in three cities. Now it's in one. It's gotten a lot better. And just look at how big the U S open is this year. It's legit. And I can't wait for it. And I can't remember U S open. I've said that for. Yep. No, hey, I, I fully agree with you. And, and with, with Spencer and with Gable, that'll be special. Uh, where I was going with that when I got sidetracked is just to remind you that Rulon Gardner, as of right now, is claiming he's going to be uh, at the Open. He has not registered. Last time I checked registration, he had not registered. But he is openly telling people, that, and he is in training, that part's true. He's openly telling people that he will be part of the U.S. Open. So that's wow. fun and cool. Let's see if it happens. Let's see if it happens, man. I can't wait to watch and. All this talk about people coming back or kind of reminds me of when Kale did it that one year. That's a story in its own self. But uh, now, Chael, it's it's awesome to catch up, man. This is long overdue with the NCAs. And I know you put out a lot of content on, on the Spencer Lee situation. And I love the channel, man. So appreciate all the support, as always. 2011 is the single worst day of wrestling Kale Sanderson has ever had. He was tired, he was lethargic, and he took out four NCAA champs and the defending silver medalist all in the same day. The worst bet. day of wrestling I've ever seen out of him. He took out four champs and the reigning silver medalist. That's how good Kale Sanderson is. <laughs> He's so good. Jake Herbert in his prime. Scary. Freaking it was scary. two out of three rounds. Remember that when it was it was best of three rounds? Kale never went six minutes. He never yeah. went. No one, including Jake, made it six minutes. No one, not only did nobody beat him, they didn't win one of those rounds. Kale was out of there in four minutes, match after match after match. Yeah, this Henry this Henry doc is in that same horrible rule set, and it's so bizarre to watch these matches and how horrendous it all used to be to watch. Like the ball grab, all of it's just messy, very messy. Yeah. No, it's uh, a mess. It, it's a mess. It's very frustrating. You know, Nick Simmons is the one that stopped uh, Suhudo at the Olympic trials that year. And at the Olympic trials, Nick Simmons beat the defending Olympic champion, the defending NCAA champion, and that year's Olympian all in the same day and didn't make the team. You know, and to, to remind because he went two out of three with Hayes. Hayes so he beat Hayes, who went on to be the Olympian. He beat the defending Olympic champion. I think it was Ramos. He beat the NCAA champion. He beat all three of them in the same day and doesn't make the Olympic team. Very frustrating, man. It's a tough business they're in. Tough, very tough, man. It's yeah, it's it's come changed a long way too with all the money. I mean, it's funny back in 08, all these guys were making no money, none. I mean, it's certainly you know from your era, early two thousands, no, no money then either. It's changed a lot. Don't you agree with me on my point though with, with Shane Griffith? Two hundred is his number. But I heard, Stanford doesn't have but it. I, I heard mean, if Stanford doesn't have it, I don't think it's a money thing. I think he can't get into grad school there. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. He's a graduate. Okay. Again, forget, with, I mean, I would just think that there would be exceptions for their first and only national champ. I would just think that. Well, I this only came up because Northwestern, you know, I, I'm an Illinois guy. I love all Illinois programs. And Northwestern lost like three guys in a week. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, this is Big Ten power, academic power. What's What the heck's going on? And like two of the three were grad transfers, which only is coming up because these guys have been eligible so long because of COVID. And they just flat out can't get into grad school at Northwestern. So I'm like, that makes sense. I've heard that's what it is at Stanford, but I can't be sure. All right. All right. Uh, I hear you on that. Well, live and learn, man. Absolutely, brother. Good to talk to you, Chael. We'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Congrats on the documentary. Can't wait to hear it. See you, bro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. 
This episode is presented by Frog Ninja Wrestling Club, who's putting on two camps this summer. Go to frogninjawrestlingclub.com if you're in the PA area and want to learn from some of the best in the business. frogninjawrestlingclub.com. Register for their upcoming summer camps now. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!